Coming up this hour, you guessed it, we're going to talk about the coronavirus a little bit, plus 15 signs you may be burning out, and finally, some good news. That's coming up next on The Common Good. Hey everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. It is finally a nice, decent day. People seem to be all over the World Wide Web in a much better mood, but although we do have some uh, scary and frightening and disheartening news coming a little bit later in the show, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Speaking of bridges crossed, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio (laughs) Show. And uh, that's where we post all of our articles. You can send us messages if you have suggestions for a show or a guest. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com slash the common good on Twitter and Instagram at common good talk. And we are podcast. If you would not mind subscribing, rating, reviewing both on the Facebook page and on the podcast really does help the algorithm kind of bump us to the top a little bit. And we're still kind of a new show. So any of that interaction really does help us out a whole lot. And we're so grateful for those of you. Who have and uh, in our little Google Doc rundown here, Brian, I put yep. approximately seventeen articles for this first segment. <laughs> I and, saw. It. <laughs> uh, there's no way. There's no way we're gonna get to all of these. But having perused them a little bit, is there is there one of these five that kind of jump out at you? Yeah, you know the one. The place I'd like to start is with the uh, governor's five phase plan that just came out yesterday, uh, because I think we've all been waiting on this yep. and. And I don't know how you felt when you first read it. When I read it, I was really discouraged. And it wasn't necessarily anything about what the plan was other than, oh, gosh, it's going to be a long time. Right, <laughs> like, right. And I think I felt the weight of that. And I'm not here to be like, it should be a long time. It shouldn't be. I don't know. But to even hear him say, like, Indiana, which we could drive across the border to right now in, you know, in an hour, is opening everything on July 4th. And yeah. ours, our governor said it's going to be when a vaccine is here, which may be 18 months from now. And you're just kind of like, oh, man. And, you know, all the repercussions for us as churches, for school, for everything, right. uh, you know, how long it's going to take us to even get to 50 people. I think when I I don't know how you felt when I read his five phase plan, you know, part of me was like, well, this was really thought out. But there was part of me that got really discouraged by it. And then it brought out all the. uh it brought out all the Facebook people. <laughs> so, <laughs> all the Facebook people. Also all the, the Facebook people. people. So I I probably did too much reading on the plan last night because as I did, it just got me discouraged. And I was like, really? oh, my gosh. Like, I've known this is the long haul. But, man, does it really feel like the long haul now? Well, and I don't know what led to this, but I actually wasn't that surprised. When I saw it, I thought. Yeah, I kind of didn't want it to be that, but I I just wasn't all that surprised. Were you surprised at all? Like you, you know, you're out in Downers Grove and Darien, right? You're kind of in that same sector as Chicago. Does that feel right to you, or does that feel like uh, I don't yeah, know that, that that is appropriate? That felt. Uh, I saw a lot of people commenting on that. That one is difficult, especially. You know, I have always assumed Chicago was going to take a lot longer. So for us to get lumped in with Chicago out here in the western suburbs uh, did feel like a little bit of a kick in the teeth. Like, OK, like now I do get it. A lot of people from here travel into the city and, sure. you know, we're not that you know, we're close. But I'm still hoping I'm, you know, an eternal optimist. I'm still hoping that there's going to be some wiggle room in here and that there's going to be some 
you know, if things are going better, you know, I, I'm still hoping. But like you said, good weather outside today. And at least, you know, it does feel like come June 1, we'll be able to be in gatherings of 10 and some other stuff getting lifted, uh, assuming things keep going in the right way here. Um, so it, there's at least that. But, man, you do see Indiana and other places just kind of opening the doors. And you're like, well, A, that could be a terrible idea, but also that that would be kind of nice to be in that if it goes well. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and some of the other articles that I posted here, too, we have uh, Pence talking about possibly shutting down the task force right. as early as, like, Memorial Day. Which they're yeah. not doing now. Got announced today, but just that well, that was floated was right. Place. And I wanted that's why I wanted to clarify that because I knew we already had posted that on Facebook. But um, I'm curious what you think of this other one. This is a little more maybe opinion than like breaking news, but from um, from that scientific what's it called? Scientific American. Yep. Uh, the one about masks. Yeah, about masks and population. Why some men refuse to take safety precautions? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't. That has been a really weird deal like this. uh, This article talks. It's literally titled masks and emasculation. Why some men refuse to take safety precaution. They think it makes them look weak and avoiding that is evidently more important to them than demonstrating responsible behavior, it says. Uh, And they talk about how, how Vice President Pence didn't wear a mask at the Mayo Clinic. And they came up with all sorts of reasons why. Um yeah, I don't understand this one, but this one's being written by a lot. The people who are really pushing back against the masks. And there is a wing of people who are saying, well, actually, doctors are te- some doctors say that masks are actually hurting the problem and all this stuff. Like, I get if that's the reason you're pushing back against masks. But a lot of the articles and the posts and stuff you read right now is exactly this. People pushing back against masks because it looks weak or because it's annoying or because, you know, my face sweats when I wear or whatever. And if that's your reason, that's just, oh, that's bad. You got to be like, nope, I'm going to do uh, what seems to be the best move for safety. I, the mask seems like a really, really weird hill to die on. Yeah, I saw a video today or yesterday. Of a, it was just a cell phone video, and I couldn't figure out where he was at. The video didn't mention it, but uh, the woman was wearing a mask. And then, like, the center of the mouth part was cut out. I the, saw that. <laughs> and he's like, hey, what happened to your mask? And she's like, oh, it's just so much easier to breathe this way. And he's like, oh, cool. I'm going to go do that, too. Like, I just, <laughs> I, which I get, you know, I saw, I mean, my wife and I with the boys went uh, walking on a trail over the weekend. And we saw, like, people running and biking with masks on. And that was right. kind of my first thought, like, oh, that would be tough to do, you know, short of breath, you know, running, sweating. Um, but it is it is really fascinating to see all the videos kind of crop up of the vast difference of opinions people have regarding something as simple as masks. Right. And even just reading about like how effective certain masks are versus others, like hey, any fabric in front of your face that's not all created equal, and that's not all the same level of protection for you or for others, which I think is is interesting. And like in light of you know Pritzker's rollout here, I'm wondering is that just going to be normal for us just to see people in masks everywhere? Like, is that just going to become just a part of the regular rhythm that we all sort of just accept and becomes normal? Or or is it always going to feel strange? Do you think? I think it'll always feel strange, but I also think it's going to become part of our rhythm, right? That was all in the phase outs, especially when we're in stores and um, you know, whether it be jewel or wherever else, I, 
I also worry or think that there might come with it some of that quarantine fatigue we've been talking about for the past week where people are just like, forget that. I'm done with these. Um, right. But I would think at least inside sto- in, in inside places like stores, but also like churches for you and I coming up here in the coming months. Uh, I think masks are going to be a regular part of who we are uh, going forward, maybe even to the point of our kids at school uh, when they kick off school again, whenever that is. You think so? You think this is going to be something that like for my age kids, like one and two, I'm wondering if this will have been phased out enough by the time they're actually making, you know, lifelong memories. But like your kids are living through it in a really kind of unique way. I'm, I'd be really We should have them back on. We should yeah. do an interview with the From child at least once a week. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> is there any universe where they would go for that? Oh, totally. Yeah. With oh, yeah. Come on. All right. Board. I can, well, I can, uh, I can bribe him with ice cream or something. <laughs> we'll swap week to week. I'll have one of my two or one year olds and that then we can be, have one of your children. That would be awesome. <laughs> All right, well, we got a lot coming up this hour and next hour, but coming up next, Carrie Newhoff asks, are churches behaving like malls in the age of Amazon? We're going to talk about that coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope you're like, everyone welcome back to the common good on a day where people seem to actually want to be outside i don't know if this is actually true or not but i feel like on days right now where the weather is even decent like everyone's interactions online seem just a little bit nicer like when things were normal and i'd be driving I'd, i it always seemed like man people are letting other cars merge in front of them and they're using their blinkers and people are <laughs> smiling i don't know what it is man either way I share all that just to say I'm grateful. And uh, a couple of the things to let you know about, if you want to find us, you can go to Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles and even stuff that we don't talk about. But you can weigh in there. You can send us a message if you have ideas or suggestions. You can also like and review that page. That helps us out a lot. You can do the same with our podcast. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And we've referenced Carrie Newhoff a couple of times, especially in the last couple of months, And he asks the question, are churches behaving like malls in the age of Amazon, just hoping for people to shop again? And Brian and I as pastors, uh, we're going to weigh in on that in a second. But first, Brian's going to tell us about something cool the station's doing. Yeah, we're real excited about this because during the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. But we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if that's you, if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. It's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form, and we're, we're going to compile all of that information and share it with our listeners. It's totally free, no catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Yeah, I can't hear you say the totally free part now without envisioning like the Valley Girl interpretation. So I could try it again. You do need to know that during uh, during the show yesterday after I did it, somebody did text me about it. <laughs> <laughs> Was it a compliment? They just texted me, quote, totally free. (laughs) (laughs) Mission accomplished. That's about as good as I could have hoped that had gone. (laughs) All right. So Carrie Newhoff, what would you say about Carrie Newhoff? How would you introduce Carrie Newhoff to someone who doesn't know who he is? Is there like a list of attributes that you would offer? (laughs) I think he is a uh, he is a New York Times bestseller, pastor, church planter, blogger. Uh, all around swell guy. I think that takes that takes the case. Speaker. He's got a lot of titles. 
He's been delighting audiences worldwide. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, that's he, Dallas. That's Dallas. He wrote, the, cho- he wrote the chosen. <laughs> no, 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 no. Come on. Come on now. All right. Yeah. So here's the headline. Our church is behaving like malls in the age of Amazon, just hoping for people to shop again. Here's how it begins. As the world slowly reopens on the other side of COVID, which like we just talked about, that's only in some places. That's right. A question for you today. Our church is behaving like malls in the age of Amazon, just hoping for people to shop again. The mall and retail industry, which pre-COVID already had its share of challenges and decline, which I would add is putting it lightly, it is not in denial that whatever normal emerges from this post-pandemic world, it will not be kind to retailers. Sometimes it feels to me like mid-pandemic church leaders are behaving like pre-pandemic retailers. Everything on people returning once things are normal again. I'm surprised by the number of comments, messages, and emails I get from leaders who assure me that people are just waiting to gather again and everything will be fine. Well, yes, but not so fast and not so absolute. First, of course, people are anxious to gather in person again. And yes, actual in-person gatherings and human connection are critical to human flourishing and the mission of the church. But they're not the only way you can be the church. If you limit your future ministry to in-person gatherings or over-focus on in-person gatherings, you'll over-invest in a method and miss the bigger mission. I'll stop there because I know for a fact that we have some sacramentalists that listen to the show mm-hmm. that would absolutely disagree that in-person meeting or gathering is just simply a method that is somehow missing the bigger mission. How do you feel about kind of what he's laid out so far? So uh, Newhoff, as, as a reminder for people, wrote the article we discussed a week or two ago that kind of I don't know, kind of hypothesize that all of this virtual church might be, is it fair to say the way of the uh, going forward? Um, and uh, I, I would tend to disagree with, uh, I, th- I sense people, myself included, just longing to be back together. So I do agree with him that we can't just hit pause until we can be in person again. We can't just uh, say that that's the end all solution. The church hasn't gone away until we can meet again. Like, I, I don't believe that we're still on mission. Uh, and, and it's, so he says we're over investing in a method and missing the bigger mission. Totally get that. Uh, but I also wouldn't undersell how much, uh, people are longing to be back together and what it's going to be like on that day. Like, I think we'll realize, Oh my gosh, we were really missing a huge thing of what it meant to be the church when we couldn't be together. So there's parts of what he's saying that I agree with, but, but I'm, I think he undersells a little bit the in-person desire of the in-person gathering. I do like what he says next though. He says, because crisis is an accelerator, it reveals and amplifies the weaknesses that were there already and also accelerates trends that were emerging anyway, which I would probably add is both true institutionally and also individually, right? Like crisis is like, putting a tire underwater to see where the leak is, right? There's a certain there's a yeah. certain amount of like, and I was sharing that even with our staff a little bit. This has been a season in some regards to see, to take like a hard look inside, like, oh, that part in me has probably been broken for longer than I realized. I now have like a, an opportunity to really examine it. Um, so he mentions, and I, we probably won't have time to get to all five, but he says, uh, let's not behave like malls in the age of Amazon. So here are five things the church can leverage right now to move toward a brighter future. Let me just read all five real quick. And then Brian, I'll let you kind of pick and choose the ones that stand out to you. Does that sound all right? Yep, absolutely. All right, here are the five. Number one, while in-person gatherings can do things online can't, the reverse is also true. Ooh, that's interesting. Hmm. And number two, everyone you want to reach is online. 
I wonder if that's actually true. Number three, you've already made progress. You don't want to erase. And then uh, an ad's going to pop up on my screen. controlling. <laughs> and then number four, you haven't truly innovated yet. Oh, man, I wish I had time to get to all of these. And then number five, it's just not as binary as you think. Okay, so we got a couple of minutes left. Which uh, intrigued you the most? Yeah, uh, I think uh, I you haven't truly innovated yet, like especially for those of us who weren't online yet uh, when all of this started. Uh, by online, I mean like our services being online and a lot of content being online. It feels like we've done a lot of innovation in the span of eight weeks or six weeks. Uh, and, and so to be reminded that, no, you just kind of scratch the surface right now, keep uh, digging in, keep going down that road, I think is uh, is really helpful. And then also this number, the number three, the call that you've already made progress, you don't want to erase. Again, uh, there are uh, it, the church hasn't just gone on pause. And so there has been progress. There have been relationships. There have been innovations that his call to keep building on them, uh, I think, is a good call. Which one stood out for you? Oh, I don't. I mean, all of them to some degree. Number two, everyone you want to reach is online. I don't agree with that. I Especially I yeah. when we talk about the most vulnerable among us, which I'm talking about either either someone in uh, an economic situation that prevents them from having access or someone like, you know, that's higher up in years and is a shut in and doesn't have access to the technology. Right. But um, I think he gives some concessions there. He also talks about it not being as binary as you think, talking a little bit about how even you know, a lot of the big box stores have moved some of their operation to be online, but they haven't lost their, you know, their physical address either. So this kind of both. And I, yeah. I, I might, if I had more time, push back even on some of that, because I think a lot of what we're seeing digital and there are certainly some solutions to engagement, but that's still more consumption. It's more yeah. consumption than like incarnational gathering and worshiping like the physicality of being together and i don't mean to be so old school in that assessment but i do i do wonder if uh if it isn't like i said at the very beginning of the segment in person i don't think is just a method now, I, I, do, I do think everything that you were saying is important and how we actually leverage this kind of moment that we have is still really really important but uh yeah that's probably about what you expected me to say <laughs> So when I read Newhoff stuff, that's it's a great point because I tend to like what he says, but think he's gone too far. <laughs> that's that felt like this article for me today. Oh, those Canadians! I tell you, those All right. Canadians. So uh, coming up next here, fifteen signs you may be burning out and what to do about it. That's coming up next here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Greetings, lads and ladies. Welcome back. Glad to have you back. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. This is The Common Good. You knew that already. You can find us, though, if you'd like, on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. And that is where we post all of our articles throughout the day, even stuff we don't talk about. You can weigh in there. You can shoot us a message. You can find us at 1160hope.com. You can find our podcast, wherever it is you get podcasts. And uh, if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing both or either to the podcast or the Facebook page, all of that interaction really, really does help us out a whole heap. And a topic, Brian, that you and I have brought up a couple of times, mainly burnout, which is interesting because in some classical senses, burnout has been more about simply doing too many things, right? Like foot on the accelerator a little too yeah. intensely. But I think burnout in this current moment 
is uh, is a bit unique and probably looks a little different. And this was written uh, just a few weeks ago about signs you may be burning out, but also what to do about it. What's going on here? Yeah, it's an interesting premise because they say with jobs and caregiving now often happening on the same couch at the same time, many workers are stuck in an unending grind. Uh, It's that that, you know, I've talked about that feel of like, I don't know when I'm working and when I'm not that could really cause burnout in this time. And so the author says burnout is a trifecta of indicators that arise from chronic work stress and that risk disconnecting you from your job, your friends and your interests. The symptoms usually arise in this arrive in this order. So these are just three that the author says usually in this order. So we can all think about whether uh, am I feeling some of these. Number one is exhaustion, energy depletion that leaves you struggling to engage even in basic tasks. Hmm. Uh, Number two is detachment, mental distancing from your job and cynicism about its importance. And number three is uh, inefficacy loss of productivity and satisfaction. So exhaustion, Mm. detachment, inefficacy. And uh, I think those are, uh, that's a great way I think of defining burnout. Don't you think? Yeah. I just really want it to be an acronym, (laughs) which, Uh, you know, if you reorder it, you could get die. I just saw that. That's no good. No good. (laughs) I think this author put them in this order on purpose and I regret bringing it up at all. It's the one I saw too. (laughs) I mean, there's not really a whole lot of other options. <laughs> we can get eyed. We can get eyed. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Have you felt uh, any one of those three more than the others as of late? As of late? Um, yeah. Hmm. Not so much as of late. I think I did have a season of ministry where I was dealing with some burnout, uh, where I felt all three of these on varying degrees. Really? Um, yeah. I would say the closest is the first one right now of just feeling exhausted, like this energy depletion, more less out of the amount of work and more out of just trying to figure out the new normal. Like, how do I work now? How do I do this? And just kind of uh, sometimes having that feel of like, I don't know. I can't figure this out. Let's not even bother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like how it goes on, too. It says generally burnout afflicts type A people whose identities are intertwined with their jobs. So this is under the heading. Know your susceptibility, which is important. Uh, it also goes on to say, no, the cause burnout results from work that involves heavy demands and little control. I've never really heard that definition. That's really helpful. Logging long hours while confined in your home for an indefinite period of time certainly qualifies. Research shows that a lack of positive feedback also contributes. With everyone out of the office, those casual kudos you took for granted have disappeared. That's, That's a really, really great point. And it also says formulate an anti-burnout plan. So offers a couple of suggestions here. First says restructure. It's hard, but try to step back from having work provided, uh, having work provide the primary architecture for your life. If possible, rejigger your schedule to revolve more around you and the activities you enjoy. And then after restructure, recover, set aside time for your mind and body to escape the stress of work. Consider for example, and then he gives a couple of examples here. One brain breaks, pepper five to 20 minute sessions dedicated to activities that aren't work household chores, or caregiving throughout the day. These might be for exercise, meditation, reading, or cooking, as long as that doesn't feel like a chore. And number two, recovery blocks. Spend 30 minutes or more on calming activities. These are longer versions of your brain breaks. Make sure to do one at the end of the day after you've logged off. Recovery at night helps your performance the next day, Samer says. Regain control. List the stressors you don't have the power over and adjust or talk to your boss. For example, if you're stressed by your children interrupting meetings, with your manager, try making peace with this new normal or uh, or feeling wait, what? with this new normal or feeling 
out of it with your boss's mind. So I think um, that idea of creating better margin in between activities, which you and I have talked about off air a whole lot more, feels like a lot of days all my meetings are just kind of stacked. So it's just sort of like go, 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 and then go back upstairs as fast as I possibly can because, you know, my lovely wife has been caring for a one and two year old all day. So I don't want to, you know, that gets tricky, obviously, with life stage stuff. But uh, any of that resonate with you so far? Oh, the recharging is so important. And I don't, what I don't do well is scheduled like recovery and scheduled recharging. Like, okay, right. I know that it, I'm going to work hard until one o'clock and at one o'clock I'm going for a walk. You know what I mean? As opposed to like, Hey, I'm just going to keep working and working and working. And maybe if it slows down, I'll go take a quick walk or something. But like that saying, Nope, I'm going to put this recovery time. I told you before in kind of a different way, but there was a time when I was in ministry where I, I think I was on the edge of burnout. And thankfully, you know, it, it landed at a time where I had a scheduled sabbatical, my only scheduled sabbatical coming. And uh, it, it was like this on a very macro level, something planned to unplug me. Right. And and kind of bring about that health. But having those types of things in your day scattered throughout your day, I think are really important. Uh, but to the point of being really um you know, scheduled about them. Like it's going in my daily calendar today. I'm doing this at whatever time and, and keeping to make sure your brain uh, and your energy stays up. Yeah. There's a couple of other categories here. I want to make sure that I hit one is uh, make your mark. They say you need healthy markers, activities that psychologically cue you to shift into home mode. Examples include zooming with friends, exercise, reading, etc. Don't gab about work or binge watch a TV show set in your industry. Also don't rely on booze to make that transition. Number two, repeat your mantras. Uh, Voight and Samra say that burnout loves perfectionists. Oh, interesting. If that describes you, try repeating lines like these to yourself when things get stressful, like this is the moment to get it done. This is not the moment to be perfect, or this is a challenging situation that's rooted in factors I can't control. The next category they give is dig yourself out. It says identify the work that you hate, uh, identify the work that you love, and job craft. In the long term, find work that maximizes the aspects you love. For instance, tell your bosses and coworkers that you want to be the go-to mentor for new employees. So that idea of it's really a lot of just being proactive, right? Like That's it right. feels like a lot of times in my experience, burnout kind of creeps up on you and you don't really realize that you're like nearing the edge of the cliff until you're already there. And this is a lot of, it just seems like a lot of proactive, preemptive measures, communicate your needs, be mindful of the transition space, which we both know is really tough to do when we're working from home right now. And uh, I think it's really good. I think it's a good article. And just give yourself permission to not be perfect, especially like that's a good thing all the time. But especially now when everybody, just about everybody you're coming in contact with is trying to figure this all out, trying to figure life out, uh, a giving, showing grace to other people who maybe work for you or work with you or in your family or whatever, but also showing grace to yourself, especially those of you that really struggle with perfectionism, I think is so vital right now. Otherwise, uh, in this crazy time, you're just, your burnout is going to be an issue. Well, it's a little cheesy, but I, I've seen the meme a number of times over the years that says something like, everyone you know is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So, like you were saying, not only showing yourself grace, but also the people that you're zooming with, that you're calling or that you're living with even like, Hey, you, none of us know fully the kind of day or week or month they're having. And now, now would be a perfect time to become skilled at uh, extending more and more grace. I think we definitely need it. 
Well, coming up next, a segment that we haven't done in a, in a hot minute. It's called Good News. It's time for some good news. You know, there's a lot of chaos in the world, and so we want to dedicate an entire segment to just celebrating some good news from around the world. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news. Well, hello, fellow bipeds. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. A couple of house cleaning things. You can find us on Facebook. Please find us on Facebook. Keith is, keeps telling me, stop making it a suggestion. You need, you need to let them know, and they should do it. So that's what I'm going to do. We're on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. And uh, a review there would help us out a ton. We also post articles there. You can shoot us messages. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And before we dive into some good news, uh, I also want to tell you about Thrivent. So I've been a Thrivent member for like eight years. It's a Fortune 500 non-for-profit. Great, great organization. They've been around for more than 100 years. If you are looking for a Christian organization to handle uh, your finances and investment insurance and all that, can't encourage you enough to check them out. Also, if you're looking for a career change, Thrivent might be a really great fit for you. Thrivent.com slash careers is a way to go for that. Plus, because they're gosh darn great people, they're providing a whole bunch of really wonderful webinars, resources for people, parents and marriages and finances in the midst of quarantine. And tomorrow at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, they have an interview with Dr. Ed Stetzer on leading in times of crisis that I think is going to be wonderful all of that's on our Facebook page. You can also go to thriving.com slash Chicago land and get information there. They're also on Facebook, so you can just find them that way if you want. But uh, don't miss those webinars. I think they're going to be really, really helpful. And per usual, Brian, I got a couple of good news stories here from the Good News Network. Goodnewsnetwork.org, by the way. You should bookmark if you haven't yet yes. already. And uh, I'm just going to let you go ahead and pick the one you would like to do first. I'll take the one at the top of the list. Anonymous landlord hands over his family stimulus check to his 13 tenants so they could save on rent. It's amazing. A California landlord and his wife are being praised for doubling up on their stimulus checks in order to pay off some of the rent of all 13 of their tenants. Although the Santa Rosa landlord chose to remain anonymous, he told KNTV that after he and his family received their $3,400 federal stimulus check, he felt compelled to pay it forward to his, quote, second family of tenants. He then matched the check's amount for a total of $7,000 so he could use it to shave $500 off this month's rent for each of his tenants. Such a cool story. They, they interview some of the tenants who talk about how much of a surprise it was, but also how they talk about how this fits this guy's personality, like uh, his MO. He's been doing stuff really? like this for a while. They call him the best landlord any of them have ever had. So what a cool story. You know, I think my favorite part of the whole thing is that he wants to remain anonymous. Like yeah. in an age of look at me. You know, obsessively almost. That's right. This landlord be like, nah, nah. You don't. You don't got to put my name on this. I appreciate that so much. All right, staying in the good news network. Good news number two: opera singers have been hosting weekly concerts in their driveway to bring neighborhood together. It's amazing. It's the picture is this couple singing, and then behind them in a truck, there's a guy wearing a mask and also playing the piano, which is amazing. A South Carolina couple has been using their musical talents to bring their community together for weekly street concerts, all while respecting social distancing guidelines. Leah Edwards and her husband, Dimitri Pita, are professional opera singers who have been setting up shop at the end of their driveway in Mount Pleasant to perform classical and contemporary opera pieces for their neighbors. Not only have their performances served as a source of entertainment for the neighborhood, they've also helped to keep the community close together during the novel coronavirus lockdown. We're practicing, they say, 
Uh, so we're practicing. They say they can hear us anyway. So we said, why not take it to the driveway and make it a concert? A concert, Edward told uh, WCBD. It gets everyone out, checking on each other, and gets some breaths of fresh air and make music. I love this. It's That's funny, great. too, because um, the woman that leads our Kid City ministry at the Yellow Box, all of her kids are home, and a lot of them are musicians. And so they've been hosting concerts in their little cul-de-sac as well. Really? Like all the siblings have gotten together and made like a little band, and it's, it like warms my heart so much. I love it. That's awesome. Next one. Uh, these are at the Good News Network, just posted today. Nike donates tens of thousands of shoes they designed exclusively for healthcare workers. After designing a special athletic shoe for healthcare workers that can withstand 12-hour shifts, Nike has donated 30,000 pairs to hospitals across the United States and 2,500 to hospitals in Europe. Wow. The company is also sending more than 100,000 additional apparel items, including compression socks and sportswear kits, as a thank you to frontline workers. Nike described the Air Zoom Pulse released in November as the, quote, first shoe designed for the healthcare athlete and everyday hero. The kicks are made of a special material that is easy to wipe down and clean and designed to be worn for the 12-hour shifts that include five miles of walking with less than an hour of sitting. Nike's nonprofit partner, Good360, will distribute the shoes to workers uh, in U.S. veterans hospitals, as well as hard-hit health systems in Chicago, Los Angeles, Memphis, and New York City. In Europe, hospitals in Barcelona, Berlin, London, Milan, Paris, and Belgium. So they talks about how much they give away. Nike Foundation and Nike have committed more than $25 million to COVID-19 response effort. So getting shoes that will uh, make it a little bit easier for our frontline healthcare workers is a great move there by Nike. And and that's not to say that I don't have my issues with Nike, but sure. that, that is still a pretty a pretty awesome move. All right, so this one's from May 3rd, a couple of days ago. The headline is, Best Grandpa Ever Delivers Donuts by Drone to Grandkids in Quarantine. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the video or not. No. It's, uh, it's amazing. So Kevin Procopio missed playing with his grandkids since the COVID-19 quarantine required that they all stay in isolation, but it came up with a fun way to connect. One-third of a mile down the road in... What's that city? Saugus, Massachusetts. The family was experiencing, quote, extreme cabin fever. I can relate. Until they got a telephone call with directions for everyone to go out on the deck. The three boys, all under five years old, were super excited. The oldest child, Oren, ran out and anxiously awaited. In, uh, in came a drone carrying a box of Munchkin Donuts donut holes delivered right into Oren's arms. The special <laughs> delivery from Papa Kevin thrilled the kids and brightened the spirits of the adults who were happy for the diversion. You need to go and watch this video. It's, I mean, it kind of, I mean, you, you know, you're close to your grand, uh, your grandparents, your parents. My parents. Yeah. They live next door. Yeah. They're right next door. Right. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. a drone maybe wouldn't be necessary for you guys, but I love the fact that like he's thinking outside the box to, you know, still connect with his family. If my parents just wanted to throw donuts over the, over the tree, (laughs) I'd be be good with that. They haven't done that yet. That hasn't happened. yeah, I love at the bottom of the story. It says, Good News Network is not affiliated with Dunkin' Donuts in any way. We just like the video. <laughs> <laughs> I do think uh, the reason we do these, and you found this website, uh, but the reason we do these for people who maybe haven't been listening is because there's so much not good news out there right now. Right. To find stories that just unashamedly and 100% just warm the heart. Uh, without an agenda or without anything else, I think is really worthwhile right now. We all need to to back away from the hard news, you know, not for good. We don't want to put our head in the sand, 
but but we do want uh, to be reminded of the good things people are doing and just feel good about humanity here at times. And so a grandpa drone dropping munchkins is a good way to get there. I, I don't know if you're a, a Black Mirror guy. Are you? Have you seen Black Mirror? I have not. You know what it is? I do not. Oh my gosh! Okay, so it's a it's a show, and it's kind of dark, and each episode is its own kind of standalone little mini experiment. It's you know usually painting a picture of some kind of dystopian or at the very least bizarre future. Okay, and the, the creator just said the world is too bleak right now for season six. No, I just, like I just think that's so fast. Like exactly what you were saying. Like the creator of this sort of weird alternate universe show is saying, yeah. I don't think releasing season six would be a good idea right now. And so, like the one of the first comments is, "We're living through season six. <laughs> we're we're in it right now. Like it's pandemic and it's murder hornets and it's also it's there's so much that we could be nervous about or worried about. And we know that you know sharing some good news doesn't make those things go away, but it, at least as a spiritual discipline of sorts, I think it's important right. for us to also remember." that there's really, really good stuff happening in the world as well. Well, coming up at hour two, you're not going to want to miss it. We have a number of stories we're going to tackle, some of them heartbreaking, some of them encouraging, uh, but all of them are coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about the tragic shooting of Ahmad Arbery. Plus, what does beauty mean in the midst of a pandemic and some leadership lessons from the Kentucky governor? That's all coming up next here on The Common Good. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us a number of places on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter and Instagram at, at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get your podcast. If you would not mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, that does, I say it all the time, but it really does truly help us out. And uh, what, do we, what were we saying yesterday or the day before? Oh, it'll improve their credit. Yeah, that's not true. That's right. But, that's right. Yep. yep. What was your What was your turn? You said it'll improve. I'll give your, you credit. We'll <laughs> give you credit. Brian Prom is public, publicly going to thank every person who subscribes, rates, and reviews on yes. the podcast. I will just give you credit. <laughs> very, very well appreciated, I'm sure. So a story that uh, has really, really been all over the place last 48 hours uh, is about this tragic shooting of a young man named Ahmad Arbery. And uh, I imagine you're a pretty avid Twitter user. I am. Have you, have you seen and followed oh, some yes. of the details of the story? I did, yeah. It just popped up, like you said, probably midday yesterday or so, at least on my Twitter feed. And then uh, once it's the definition on Twitter of things going viral, once it started going, it was everywhere. So, so why don't you give us just a little bit of a, an overview, and then we'll, we'll get into the weeds a bit. Yeah, 25-year-old Ahmad uh, Arbery in Georgia. Uh, in the video, you see him uh, just going for a jog. So he's jogging, and um, for someone behind him is kind of shooting a video because they can probably hear what's going on ahead. So there's a pickup truck ahead of him when he turns a corner, uh, and you don't see what happens, but you see Arbery tussling with one of the, one of the men uh, who's holding a shotgun, who sh- ended up shooting him, uh, I think, multiple times, at least once, if not multiple times. Arbery is then seen struggling. He gets the gun away. He starts jogging away and falls, and he, that's where he died. There was two 
uh, men in the in the pickup truck, one of them outside of it with the shotgun, another one in the bed of the truck who had grabbed a gun as well. And uh, the outcry for obvious reasons was a couple different things. One, uh, it's a it, you know you hear stories of people killed in 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 cold blood, but this was on video. I mean, it was right. horrifying to see. Uh, and two, I do believe that this happened. Was it two weeks or two months ago? I want to make sure I get that right. Uh, but it didn't just happen, but now it's getting this momentum, this outcry. And so the a grand jury is being convened uh, to to see if there should be charges against these, uh, at least the shooter. And so uh, they said there was outrage over the reluctance of pos- prosecutors to file charges against Gregory McMichael and his son, Travis. Uh, but I believe today it came out that a grand jury was going to be convened. Uh, in order to consider criminal charges against those involved in the death of Mr. Arboretum. So uh, just uh, there's a lot to the video, but but at the very base of this video, it's just it's just horrifically tragic. Yeah. And to be uh, clear, too, if you go looking for the video and you haven't seen it, yet, it is troubling. Yep. It's infuriating. It's disturbing. And it, it was back in February, which is, is part okay, of my two months. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I I have so many intense emotions about this story, uh, heartache, sadness, but also like anger, like the very fact that this video was hidden, was held until it was leaked, and then it was submitted to a grand jury. Like that to me is yeah. all sorts of shady. And and again, I know that Twitter isn't necessarily the best place to go for like even measured analysis and response, but there, there has been such an outpouring, such an outcry. And I, and I think appropriately. So to be honest, again, you know, Brian and I are, are two white guys even attempting to have this conversation and that in and of itself is not great and certainly complicated, but like this to me, I mean, even, you know, you have people high up in office are saying, yeah, this is obviously something that was done in cold blood. Like what, what is, what is the question? Like the transcripts from the 911 call are super troubling. It's a father and a son. He's like, yeah, grab the gun. We saw a guy. It was the middle of the day, by the way. Yeah, the other that. thing that's been really heartbreaking is hearing accounts from from other men and women of color who are like, yeah, th- this is what I have to warn my children of all the time. Uh, and, you know, one guy was saying, like, I, I have lived in fear running at night, but apparently that fear wasn't intense enough because this guy was running during the day. And mm. I don't know. There's just so much lament, like, welling up inside of me. And also this sense that I don't, I don't understand at all the depths of what, you know, our brothers and sisters must be experiencing or feeling right now, especially in this area. Like I just, how do you even navigate something like this? Uh, which, you know, is in a different state in a different right. country, but as a pastor, as someone who cares about the Imago day, cares about human dignity, cares about justice. Like how, how do you even grapple with a story like this? Yeah. The first feeling I had when watching it yesterday was, um, man, that feels like a different world than the world I live in. And that's what, you know, a lot of African-Americans and others have uh, that's the message they want us to feel and know. Right. right. Is I, I had that sense of like that is uh, you read and hear things like this happening, but to see it happening and to try to get your mind around, to try to get my mind around it. I just couldn't. It was like, right. man, like that, that just happened. Like that was crazy. Like I'm reading this article in the story, you know, Gregory McMichael 
saw the kid running or tw- kid. He's 25 years old. Uh, saw the 25 year old running. Mr. Arbery uh, told his son, I think he was involved in some b- burglaries in the area. And so they gave chase. Like it wasn't even like it was a misunderstanding right. that happened. And, right. um, and then some of the stuff they say doesn't jive with the, with what's on the video, but I know. You know, I think this has to break our hearts. If this doesn't break your heart, regardless of your race or, uh, you know, regardless of, well, it happened in a different state, you know, Georgia or whatever, uh, this as as a Christ follower must break your heart. It must break your heart, uh, but it can't just break your heart. It also needs to drive us towards uh, speaking out and wanting to be part of a change like we've got. Uh, this sounds so flippant, but we as a as a country, we've got to be better than this, but we just aren't. We we regularly are not. Uh, and so, uh, you know, most of us probably do- wish we didn't have to see stuff like this, but that's that's, you know, that's just wanting to put our head in the sand. And so uh, e- I think your feelings of anger and uh, rage, I think, are warranted. And then you just try to put yourself uh, in the shoes of of you know, an African-American, but even more than that, like his family and the people who are trying to go like, well, this is how do we even process what just happened here? It's just so tragic. And it if it doesn't make you angry when you see it, it doesn't break your heart. Then you really need to look in the mirror and ask a lot of hard questions about yourself. Well, let me I want to ask you a question. Then you said something back there. And we have just a couple of minutes left, but about our responsibility, not just to grieve and lament and to to be angry. And some people might be surprised to hear two pastors say that scripture never talks about not getting angry. It talks about being angry about the right things and not sinning in our anger. That's really important, but man, there certainly should be things that bring us to a point of anger. Um, what would speaking out look like for, for just the average listener right now? It's like, I don't have a platform or a church or a campaign. Like how would you advise someone that's like, okay, pastor from, if you're, if you're right, what, what does speaking out, look like that's a great question i think it looks different right i think it doesn't mean you got to get up on facebook but if that's your thing go for it but i think very simply uh a uh, i think within your own homes you need to talk to your kids about stuff like this okay like um whether you show them the video or not i think talking but i think as pastors within churches i i think myself included uh, churches have probably been pretty slow by and large. This is painting with a broad brush to even tackle uh, issues of racism and, um, and inequality. And churches have, especially white churches, have probably chosen to avoid that subject more than we should. Because uh, you spoke earlier of the Imago Dei and uh, that as Christ followers, we see the image of God uh, in all people. Uh, and so something like this shouldn't be okay. So that's the first thing that came to my mind. I saw you posted earlier about racism, I think on yeah. Twitter, maybe. Is that the best way that you see to speak out? Or is there other things that have come to mind for you? No, it's, I wouldn't say it's the best. Sometimes it's the only one that comes to mind. I'll right. I'll share real quickly what I wrote and then a, a really helpful response from my friend Lara. So I wrote, because all humans are made in the image and likeness of God, racism isn't merely toxic. It's blasphemous. It's not impolite. It's not a bad habit. It's not a difference of opinion. It's sin, and we need to talk about it as such. And then she responded, my friend Laura Archibald said, but does anyone think that racism is good? I think the problem is an unwillingness to name racism when it mm. happens. And that, I think, is a really like important clarification. And probably, like this is just one segment, but something that I think 
you know, maybe you and I need to dedicate some more time to mm-hmm. in the coming days and weeks to not only use this platform as a way to speak out, but also to maybe help people that don't understand, you know, the intensity of the problem. I've certainly heard people say, yeah, is racism still really an issue in our world? Is that still right, a conversation right. that we need to have? And maybe maybe that's a challenge that uh, that you and I can heed. Either way, heartbreaking story. Our prayers are most certainly with the family and that justice would prevail. And uh, gosh, this has been a really, really it's been a really, really tough one to process. Well, coming up next, we want to talk about some leadership lessons from a Kentucky governor. That's coming up here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Did you know that we had a Facebook page? You're aware of that, Brian, right? The I, Facebook? Am. I am. I am. I know that some people read articles there. They say nice stuff about us every now and then. They rip us pretty good, though. <laughs> and sometimes people don't read the articles, but they comment nonetheless, which that's is true. That's also, that's also fun. It is. I will say this, though. I'm being a little cheeky, but it's interesting to see friends that they only have this show in common. So it's like people that I know from other spheres of influence yes. or other, you know, feels like other past lives like all weighing in. And more often than not, it's like really helpful. Like it's a really good dialogue. So either way, we'd encourage you to continue the conversation there. And you can also send us a message if you have ideas for future shows or an interview even, or an article. Uh, My buddy Trav sent us a video, asked us to kind of weigh in on. I think that's super interesting. So that's a great place to do that. You can also review the page that helps us. And you can do the same on the podcast, subscribing, rating, and reviewing takes, but just a split second. That's not true, but no more than a minute. So right. review it and subscribe. That helps us out a whole lot. You can also ask Alexa just to play the podcast, which is helpful. And on Instagram and Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Before we get into these leadership lessons, uh, Brian's going to tell us about some cool things happening at the station. That's right. During the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that so many businesses have had to close their doors and reduce their hours. Uh, but we also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. All one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Fill out the brief form. We will be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. Uh, Here's the best part. It's totally free. No catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. Wait, what kind of free is it? (laughs) <laughs> it's funny. I was reading it going, what's the, how am I supposed to say that again? <laughs> <laughs> it's challenged everything you've ever known. Okay. So uh, I thought this was really interesting. This is from Pathios and we, I don't, I don't know that we've done a story from Pathios in a minute, but it says 10 leadership lessons from Kentucky governor, Andy Bashir. I don't know how much you know about Bashir, but I don't. Uh, you don't necessarily need to agree with him or his theology or his politics or any of that. But I thought they were helpful leadership lessons. And just as a reminder, I subscribe to the John Maxwell definition of leadership as influence. And every single one of you listening has influence. So uh, how we actually navigate or wield or steward that influence is anyone's guess. But I thought this was a list of 10. Also, Brian Fromm secretly loves lists of any kind. I can't get enough lists. You really can't. I know it. Why, Why don't you kick us off then? Yeah, and it's interesting because it's written by Leah Shade, uh, and she's like we kind of watch Governor Pritzker's stuff, whether every couple of days or on a daily basis. Uh, she's been watching Governor Bashir, so she's making these observations from just watching him and listening to him in these um, in these daily briefings. So, number one, 
provide clear communication about important information and repeat it regularly. Every day, Bashir begins with having us repeat the phrase, uh, we will get through this. Hmm. Uh, we will get through this together. Then he reviews the 10 steps to defeat COVID-19. After this, he gives an update on where things stand, explains how explains new developments, and lays out plans for addressing each issue as it arises. He follows a regular pattern, does not obfuscate, obfuscate, yeah. and uh, does not pontificate. What he does know, he promises to find out. What he doesn't know, sorry, he promises to find out. And he follows through on what he says he's going to do. This shows us the necessity of clear repeated instruction for those who lead. That's a good one. Yeah. Number two, be a non-anxious presence, but don't be afraid to show your passion and humor. I've heard some people say that Governor Andy Bashir reminds them of Mr. Rogers from the beloved children's television show, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. Did that really require an explanation of who Mr. Rogers is? <laughs> uh, the calm demeanor and soothing voice, the down-home, plain-speaking manner, his warmth, easy smile and laughter, his compassion for those who are suffering. All of this is calming when people are anxious. It provides reassurance when fears are escalating. But this doesn't mean that Bashir is a lukewarm, milk toast leader. Neither was Fred Rogers, for that matter. On the contrary, he conveys passion for the state he leads and for the people under his care. Every press conference is peppered with short, inspirational speeches. He compares our task with that of the greatest generation, those whose character and ethics helped to bring this nation through the Great Depression and World War II. This is our calling, he declares. This is our time. I think that's really good. Yeah. Number three, character, honesty, and transparency matter. Hmm. The last three years of leadership, uh, this author writes, I keep shutting this down while reading it. The last three <laughs> leaders, years of leadership in the White House may lead us to conclude that honesty, integrity, and transparency no longer matter. But this would be an accurate conclusion. In fact, the pandemic is really just how important it is to have a leader with impeccable character and the highest standards for themselves and their teams. This is why, in this author's opinion, Governor Bashir has been so admired for his leadership during the onset of the coronavirus. He has demonstrated patience, forthrightness, transparency, and a strong ethical orientation. No grandstanding. There's uh, no pomp and circumstance, and there are no empty promises. More than once, Bashir has invoked the greatest generation and notes their key traits, personal responsibility, integrity, work ethic, and faithful commitment. I like that, man. This is uh, this is shaping a pretty solid list. Number four, affirm the positive, then push for improvement and set goals. Governor Bashir always affirms what Kentuckians have done to slow the spread of the virus and save lives. You're following the rules and it's making a difference, he often says, but he also urges us to improve. For example, the plus one step is filling out the census, which is uh, key to the state receiving appropriate funding to meet the needs of citizens. So he keeps pushing for Kentucky to move up in its ranks. Number 14 is not good enough. Let's do better. Let's be better. As of this writing, we've moved up to number 13. But Bashir has set a goal of Kentucky being in the top 10. I like that one. Number five, keep your focus. Don't get distracted by politics. Wait, what uh, was that? At the, end, at the end of every briefing, Bashir takes questions from the media, both in written form and from reporters present in the meeting. Invariably, there are questions about political issues. He's asked about his thoughts are about the actions of President Trump or Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell or the Republican-led Kentucky legislature or those who are protesting that the state is not yet open for business. Bashir never takes debate. He remains calm and centered. He instinctively knows when a trap has been set, so he keeps focus and redirects. That's not what's important right now. He says saving lives is this is not to say Bashir never engages 
about politics. And so later on, it says all leaders are challenged by those who want to bring them down or force them to cave their demands. Bashir models how to deal with these power battles. Okay, so I'm just going to read the remaining five, and I want you to think of which one like most resonates with you. You ready? Okay. Yep. All right, number six, when you mess up, fess up. Make it right and follow up. That one feels like a wrap, doesn't it? Number seven, <laughs> uh, admonish when necessary, which is good, not as catchy. Number eight, have courage to sacrifice for a larger cause. as a good leadership principle. Number nine, uh, even with the best intentions, sometimes effective leaders get it wrong. That's a good reminder. And then uh, lastly, number 10, put together the most capable, competent, and effective team you can. All right, so which which of those five that I just read are you like, oh, yeah, I needed that reminder? So it was going to be the first one you read uh, about admitting your mistakes, right? Any leader who can never say, I got that wrong, or admit or say sorry uh, is not a leader worth following. And so uh, why is that? Because nobody's perfect. And, um, you know, I think – when I hear somebody in leadership admit their failures, it then helps me give them credibility in my mind. Okay, if they can own their mistakes, then they can. All, I can believe them. I can trust them. If someone mm. never has any mistakes, I don't feel like I can trust them. Uh, but that was my first one. But then the last one I think is wonderful. Put together the most capable, competent, and effective team that you can. Right. You always read about bad leadership being uh, if you feel like you have to be the smartest person in your room in the room right. for everything. But instead, the best leaders surround themselves with the best people who probably outpace them in their in their point of expertise. And that's huge and one that I need to be reminded of often, which is kind of hero making. Right. Like that's kind of the yeah. premise of the book in general. There's like, hey, don't you don't have to be the spotlight all the time. You know, that's uh, what's the phrase Dave uses. Hero makers build platforms for others to stand on. Hmm. I think that is that is such a good reminder. And I think, too, and again, I don't know a whole lot about Bashir, and I'm sure somebody listening is like, oh, he's the worst. But at the very least, this list of 10, I thought, you know, in this age of um, a lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of rhythms being rattled, I, for whatever reason, I just found this list of 10. I like it. To be really inspiring, really challenging. None of it's brain science, but certainly, man, this is the, this is the time. For this kind of leadership in whatever area you lead, I would encourage you reread the 10. We have it posted on our Facebook page. What would you add? What would you take away? What would you tweak? Maybe what do you love about this list? What do you hate about this list? It's all fair game. That's at the Facebook page, the common good radio show coming up next though, a topic that has been near and dear to my heart for a while that we haven't talked a whole lot about the headline reads why art and beauty matter during a pandemic. We're going to talk about that coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. I haven't said it enough lately. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. It has been such a joy, especially in the midst of all of this, to still be able to have an opportunity to engage in topics that we hope you find compelling or interesting. Even if you utterly disagree with us, that is totally okay. You can also find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's a good place to disagree with us. We post articles there. You can send us messages if you want to be like, hey, why don't you ever read from this guy or from this news source or talk about this topic? All of that's fair game. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcasts. I want to talk a little bit about art and beauty in a second. And uh, from a theological perspective, I think art and beauty actually do matter a whole lot during a pandemic. Uh, quickly, before we do that, though, Thriving Financial is a uh, an organization that I care deeply about. I've been a Thrivent member for like eight years. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. 
But also, if you're looking for a career change, Thrivent.com slash careers is a great place to go. At least peruse a little bit. You don't have to have a background in finance. You just got to, like, you know, come alongside people and helping them. Also, they're providing a whole bunch of really wonderful webinars. Uh, one tomorrow that I'm excited about, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time with Ed Stetzer, Dr. Ed Stetzer on leading through times of crisis. Uh, we post all those links to the Facebook page. I cannot encourage you enough to check them out. And they're totally free. So we hope that uh, that blesses you or encourages you or inspires you in some particular way. So uh, real briefly, why art and beauty matter during a pandemic? Is this a, a conversation that you've given any thought to, Brian? I have not. Not even for one second, but then, and you read it and it makes total sense. You're like, okay, it well, just starts makes sense about it. Well, the article, the way it starts, the cashier at Trader Joe's couldn't get over how many fresh flowers customers have been purchasing during the pandemic. It said yeah. people load up their carts with pasta and frozen foods, and then they buy at least two bouquets of flour. He, she said it doesn't really make sense. But it goes on, and we're going to get to listen to some audio here, that in the midst of uncertainty and darkness, that people want beauty. And so uh, what is beautiful, right? Art is beautiful, uh, music, and these types of things. So it shouldn't surprise us that people are drawn to these things in this time of, like, a global pandemic. I just didn't give that much thought, though. Well, and I, I think you're uh, you're probably not alone in that. I've done a lot of writing and work on the idea of beauty the last four or five years. And what I find so interesting, you know, the Catholic church has what they call the transcendentals, which they kind of That's borrow right. from Plato, which is truth, goodness, and beauty and truth being sort of doctrine piece, goodness being the ethics piece. Like we tend to focus a lot on those two here in the West and beauty sort of gets, you know, relegated to like, yeah, if we have extra money or extra bandwidth. And I think, I think that's a mistake. I think beauty Beauty, rather than trying to convince, beauty is interested in inviting, right? There's just something about engaging with the beautiful that I think is not only like theologically significant, but also like physiologically significant. And this article from Christianity Today uh, includes in it an interview with Alice Hers Summer, who is 109 years old and the oldest living Holocaust survivor. I want us all to listen to just a couple of minutes from her about this topic of beauty and art in a season of suffering. Every day in life is beautiful. Every day. It's beautiful. To the residents of this small apartment building in North London, Alice Summer is the lady in number six. My world is music. I am not interested in anything else. The music is so beautiful. Alice lives alone. She still has her health, and at 109, she feels she's the luckiest person alive. I love people. I love everyone. I love people. I love to speak with them. I'm interested in the life of other people. Beethoven. He is a miracle. His music is not only melody. What is inside? What is inside? How it's filled? It's full. It's intensive. The remarkable Alice Sommer. At 109, the oldest Holocaust survivor in the world. 
She was 39 when she and her little boy Rafi arrived in the strangest place in the entire concentration camp system, Theresienstadt, a feeder camp for Auschwitz, where Jewish celebrities and intellectuals were used by the Nazis for propaganda purposes. These images were filmed to show the world how well the Jews of Europe were being treated. Starving prisoners were allowed to compose and give concerts. I can say without hesitation that the cello saved my life because I knew what was going on in Auschwitz. So I arrived really preparing to go in the gas chamber. I mean, that was Auschwitz, was gas chambers. Instead of that, when I arrived there... Um, it's a sort of ceremony, uh, you know, people take your clothes off you and shave your head and tattoo a number on your arm. And this is all done by prisoners. And one of these said, what's your name and where do you come from and what did you do before you were arrested? And like an idiot, I said, I used to play the cello. I mean, you know, really ridiculous thing to say. And she said, oh, fantastic, you'll be saved. I knew that we will play. And I was thinking, when we can play, it can't be so terrible. The music, the music. Okay, so that was just a few minutes. You can actually go to the Facebook page and listen to the entire interview. But I'd love to know, Brian, what uh, stood out to you about what she said? Well, first of all, being 109. Like, that's amazing. And the oldest living Holocaust survivor. Uh, But... Somebody, you, you, you need to frame this through the fact that she's come through the Holocaust. And at the end, or when she said, if we can play music, it can't be that bad. Mm-hmm. Like, what a statement from somebody who has lived through the Holocaust. Uh, and, and to say, hey, it could look really bad out there. But if we can play music, uh, there's some beauty. There's some color. There's some light. Uh, and And she's got some chops in this, right? Not just being 109, but having lived through the Holocaust, like that makes you listen. So that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Do you, do you think this is something that in the West we struggle to really grapple with? Like I remember even listening to an interview with Richard Rohr and he was, I've mentioned this on the show. He talks about when it comes to like things that are negative and dark, our brains are like Velcro. We they just, we just grasp onto it so instinctually. But when it comes to like things that are beautiful, he says it's more like Teflon. He says to achieve like the neurological, physiological benefits of even experiencing beauty, it requires that we sit in it a little bit. So not just glancing at a beautiful sunset and moving on or like appreciating the, the laughter of a baby. Like we tend to move on so quickly from these things. And his case, he was arguing, was that we need to learn to sit in these things a little more. Do you find that like we are worse or better at that in the West than the rest of the world? And, and why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, I don't think we're very good at it because we are accomplishment driven. We're data driven, right? We're, we're uh, in the uh, post enlightenment. We like to think of ourselves as rational and the, the, the kind of concept of beauty is a hard one to get your arms around, right? Get your minds around. And so we're so, uh, at least in our culture, so go, 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 achieve, 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 move on to the next thing that to take time to just reflect and to take time to sit in what is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I would guess culturally can feel like a waste of time as opposed to something that is like a lifeline to get through darkness. Yeah, that's well said, man. I like what this article mentioned. It says Mary Amendolia Gardner, a priest and spiritual director in Northern Virginia leads seekers and believers in Visio Divina or Holy seeing a spiritual practice to help focus distracted minds 
And uh, she said, in times of uncertainty, sickness, despair, and death, beauty is more than a mere distraction. Beauty is a human connection point, which becomes a catalyst of connection to the transcendent, which again, that might, that language might make some people uncomfortable. They're unfamiliar with that particular line of thinking, but I think, you know, when Dostoevsky said beauty will save the world, Mm. I think a lot of people probably laughed at him, but I think he was more right than he realized and uh, maybe more right than anyone else realized. Either way, I just wanted that to be at some level, hopefully a challenge to anyone listening to make time for beauty, I guess, to be intentional about building in some kind of rhythm to appreciate uh, beauty in not just the magnificent, but also the mundane Mm because there's beautiful moments each and every day, even when we're stuck at home. And I think that that is an important thing to remember. And I'll be the first to admit, and Brian, I don't know if you'd put yourself in this camp. I forget to do this all the time. Absolutely. it's, It's way easier said than done, but I think, I think what this uh, this article is really getting at is that it's not just like a helpful distraction. It's actually really, really good for our souls. Absolutely. To actually take time to pause and see and experience the beautiful. Well, we've been doing it all week long. And uh, in the history of right turns, here's, here's, a, here's a contender. We're going to wrap up the show. We're going to land plane with some interweb insanity stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. And uh, we're going to do it sight unseen here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. And that frightening music means only one thing, that Brian and I are foolish enough to continue to do this segment despite multiple warnings from people that know us and love us the most. We continue <laughs> to power through with interweb insanity. If you're just joining us for the first time, here's here's the gig. Uh, it's stories that we have nothing to do with. We've, we've been handed them. We read them sight unseen. And there's accompanying sound effects that we have not heard, selected by our producers. And we just power through. And sometimes sometimes they're really funny. Sometimes they're really dark. Sometimes we're not really sure why they're in there in the first place. But uh, we do them anyway. And we have learned that a number of pastors have been using them as sermon illustrations. So at yes. least that's contributing to the greater perhaps the common good in uh, in some capacity and we post them you can find some of them on our facebook page the common good radio show on twitter and instagram at common good talk and uh, again if you're just joining us on the radio am 1160 you can go back and listen to the podcast wherever it is you get podcasts subscribing rating and reviewing all that helps us out a whole heap and uh, brian i'm going to pass it off to you and let you go first this is a perfect one for the next sermon illustration for somebody. It's out of Ohio. Doorbell camera catches masked beer fairy dropping off care package on woman's porch. Uh, the tooth fairy may or may not be real, but thankfully there's a beer fairy. Mm-hmm. A woman in Ohio was recently surprised to find a couple of mysterious care packages appearing on her doorstep. When she checked her doorbell camera to find out who dropped off the gifts, she probably wasn't expecting to see what the cameras had captured. Brooke Baxter from Talmadge recorded two videos of the mysterious care packages being dropped off at her house. Normally, it would be disconcerting to see someone dressed as a pig had visited your house in the middle of the night. But at least this mysterious person came bearing gifts. The second video shows somebody wearing an oversized T-Rex outfit dropping off a similar package. She said she wrote on Facebook, thank you to my beer fairies that came last week. I'm a little late posting and I still have no idea who one is. Wow. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Okay, this one's going to be a hair different than that one. Washington State police catch drunk driver going 192 miles an hour on way to breakfast. I actually saw this one. Uh, Hopefully he likes trail food. 
Police in Snohomish, Washington, arrested a drunk driver early Sunday morning after he was caught going 192 on a mostly two-lane highway where the maximum speed limit was 60. Yikes. Trooper H. Axman tweeted that the 31-year-old told the arresting officer that he was on his way to get breakfast when he was spotted on the Stevens Pass Highway at 7.45 a.m. Axman told the drive that he was behind the wheel of a 2008 Chevrolet Corvette. I almost said Corvette, which is (laughs) embarrassing. And charged with a DUI and reckless driving. Washington is one of the several states that has reported an increase in very high-speed driving tied to a reduction in traffic due to stay-at-home orders in place to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. Newsflash, you can't drink and then come to work. You're not airline pilots. And I don't know what's worse, going 192 or being drunk driving at 7.45 a.m. Man. Yeah, I, I mean, not, I don't want to make it sound like I have a lot of friends who've gotten DUIs. Yeah. But most of them, they were driving like 12 miles an hour and they like <laughs> always drove up on someone's lawn. Like that's <laughs> what, what, 192 is that's nuts. How old were you when you did that? I don't want to. <laughs> I see what you did there. Sneaky. Next one's out of Russia. Moose flees into ocean to escape hungry bear. A conservation officer in Russia captured video of a moose using its superior swimming skills to escape a bear attack along the Pacific Ocean shoreline. Uh, the nature reserve in Kamchatka shared a video on Instagram showing the moose <laughs> bathing in the ocean. When a bear appears on the scene and chases after the potential prey, uh, Anna Elisiva, the conservation officer who captured the footage, said the moose was able to use its superior swimming speed to avoid becoming the bear's next mo- meal. She said the moose has ob- was observed returning to the same area to continue its bath about an hour after fleeing the scene. Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Ah! See, <laughs> nothing up must leave. Presto! Wrong hat. Okay, I don't want to sound ignorant. I had no idea Moose could swim. Like no I said idea. Twice, superior swimming ability. No idea. Really? All right. Uh, Louisiana, police warned of, quote, aggressive chicken stalking bank customers. Ooh, there's a pun here somewhere. This is like poultry in motion. No? <laughs> <laughs> All right, a Louisiana Police Department is warning residents to beware of an aggressive chicken that has been terrorizing bank customers at a drive-through and walk-up ATM. The police, the Walker Police Department, said officers who responded to a report of a chicken attack at a bank on Walker South Road were told by employees that the foul foul there it is has been chasing customers and attempting to get into their cars for several days. The department's Facebook post said that the chicken has also quote. Failed to engage in proper social distancing. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? I feel like it probably aggressively went up to them and said, what are you, chicken? Okay. Come on, that, was bad. that was real bad. That, that was, was terrible. I, um, I, hope you, I hope you play that one back for your family. Ohio. <laughs> Jewelry chain Jared to help a thousand couples tie the knot with a free virtual wedding. Sometimes love just can't wait. With social distancing currently being the most potent weapon against the coronavirus pandemic, nuptials across the globe have been postponed. But for the lovebirds who just can't stomach the idea of waiting until the virus has been beaten, the national jewelry chain Jared has an offer to make sure your loved ones can safely watch you walk down the aisle. Jared launched the quote, the hashtag love can't wait campaign on May 4th, which will grant a thousand couples all the tools they need to hold a virtual wedding. Jared's virtual platform will mirror an in-person wedding as much as possible, giving couples control of the wedding date, invitations, 
theme, background, speakers, and officiants. Rest assured that I was on the internet within minutes, registering my disgust throughout the world. The first person to sign up was Keith Conrad. Oh, boy. <laughs> Boo this man! I can always tell when you're gearing up for an edit. Like It was just- good! <laughs> <laughs> And then you usually tell yourself that it was good. That's I feel good about that one. I felt good about that. The chicken one was bad. Oh. Chicken one was no good. <laughs> Thanks for differentiating. You're welcome. Well, yeah, never a dull moment here on The Common Good. We hope that you had at least some fun. And we'll join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, my name is Ian Simpkins. And this has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you like